Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. It's not often you get to meet your heroes, so you're going to have to excuse me going a little bit fanboy on this one. I've had the very great pleasure of using stitch.com in a recent project, and it's kind of awesome. So I was absolutely delighted when Chris O'Neill, who was the first developer advocate at Stitch, agreed to come on the podcast. This discussion is pretty practical. Chris gives you a three-step playbook for succeeding as a new developer advocate. Chris talks about the three different kinds of developers you'll meet in heaven. Well, at least the developers who are going to use your APIs. And then we really get into the weeds about how Stitch does developer relations. Okay, here we go. Welcome, Chris, to the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. It is great to have you here today. It's lovely and sunny in California. It's rainy in Ireland. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, nice to have Nice to be here. So I'm just going to dive straight in. We, we were talking a little bit about this beforehand, uh, but I think it's I think I think your history in Stitch, your current employer, is kind of interesting. Uh, you were the first DevRel, and now you lead the DevRel team there. Um, take us through that experience. This is what the last two three years. Yeah, about the last uh, year and a half or so. Awesome. Yeah, when I joined Stitch about a year and a half ago, um, it was a pretty small team, about twenty people. Um, I joined about two months before our Series B, uh, and a pretty big valuation number. Uh, this is my first role as a developer advocate. Previously, I'd worked in some other developer-facing roles um, and a few other startups uh, in the Valley. The biggest thing uh, that I thought about when joining the team, uh, we sell an API, an authentication API, to help developers uh, build secure and flexible login flows. Uh, in a couple of hours rather than like sprints. And so the first thing uh, that I thought about when joining Stitch is learning the product as deeply as I possibly could uh, to try to figure out, you know, when you're building login, uh, which, you know, developers have been building for decades at this point, what are the problems that you run into uh, when uh, developing those sorts of flows? What are the gotchas? What are the foot guns? trying to figure out as much as possible about the space. So I knew what Stitch was trying to solve for. Um, if, if you're not really clear, like what it's like uh, to build a cabinet or build a table, uh, you're not going to build a great hammer, you know, to give to a, a carpenter. So learning as much about the space as possible was like first job. Second job was then to figure out, okay, what is, what is Stitch's current product? Um, learn that as deeply as you possibly can. And then finally, that third part was, all right, I know the login space, I know the authentication space, I know Stitch's product. How do we get this in front of developers and uh, make that value uh, as clear as possible? Yeah, that, that okay. So that you've, you've just given us a little uh, three-step process for how to succeed at DevRel, right? Number one, learn the space. Number two, learn the product. And number three, learn about the developers. Yeah, that, that, that's the the kind of playbook that I take um, to everything. You know, we we just developed and kind of released our first foray into B2B authentication, similar to consumer authentication, but slightly different. Um, and you got to learn that all over again. You got to do the same process. You know, in consumer land, 
you're really caring about conversion, you're caring about kind of like frictionless, ease of use, all that sort of stuff. Um, in the B2B land, uh, you're worrying about, okay, well, this person's a member of this organization and they want to use this SSO protocol, you know, SAML or OIDC, whatever. Um, and you just have to relearn all, all of that over again um, to then figure out, okay, I know I have a really good sense of what we're solving for on the consumer space. What do we need to be solving for in the B2B space? And just repeating that same playbook uh, in a new place. Anyone has ever tried to get single sign-on working? <laughs> they know what Chris is talking oh about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is one of those things that um, the, the developer within me really wishes uh, we could like open source our SAML service. Like we have an internal service we built up. Uh, we have a bunch of great engineers who put a ton of work into building this because it's, you know, a spec is not a spec, right? Uh, <laughs> the the SAML spec uh, is implemented a thousand different ways across a thousand different products. Uh, and yeah, exactly. And then, you know, some companies have their own, uh, their own special twist uh, on these protocols. And so building out that service to be flexible, to like make sure that you're hitting like the actual spec uh, for those companies that do hit it, but then also having those the flexibility to support, you know, SAML like uh, implementations of SSO is 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 huge. I wish we could uh, open source it. Uh, the developer may wants to, uh, but I understand like it's a ton of work. Uh, and and open we'll come back to open source in a minute. Uh, people really underestimate how hard <laughs> user authentication is i've built so many different login screens over so many different years uh there's so many weird horrible edge cases um over time how has so we kind of we can kind of take it as given that what stitch does is, is a useful service but have you found over time that um there's been more acceptance in the market or is that something have you had to engage in educating people about, hey, this can actually be really easy? Yeah, I, I actually like to think about it um, kind of similar to the like AWS paradigm shift that happened, you know, a decade or more uh, ago at this point, where you used to have, you know, your own servers, right? Your own metal running in a, a, a closet somewhere. And uh, now that's definitely not the default. Default is you're on Azure, you're on AWS, you're on something like that. And if you were to talk to most like IT professionals at the time, um, it would have sounded crazy. You know, like, hold on, like, I have a box in front of me, I control it. Um, if it's down, I can fix it. Um, it. It was like a big, a big risk to like a very critical part of their company, right? To like have a third party hosting company, you know, run your, your infrastructure. Um, but over time, we've seen the advantages there, the flexibility, the security like done for you and done well. Um, all of that stuff is really hard to do. Um, uptime, availability, all that sort of stuff is really hard to get right. Um, and so relying on those third-party hosting companies has really offloaded a lot of that responsibility um, and allowed you to, to kind of reap the benefits of the technology improvements there over time, even at a really small scale. And I, and I think a similar sort of pattern uh, it can be applied to authentication, user management. Um, and that's where like Stitch comes in is we are doing 
login, which to your point is, it feels simple, right? Everybody's built a username and password login at some point in their life. Uh, but as you start to find those edge cases and really kind of like poke around the space and kind of do it at, in production at scale, you realize how hard it can get. Um, and also the downfalls. If you do something wrong, and you know your name, your company might end up, uh, you know, on Hacker News uh, with a recent hack have or I, something like that. Have I, have I been have I been owned? Okay. <laughs> yeah, have I been pwned? Yeah, dot com. You can yeah. type in. You can see how often um, you know companies uh, mismanage things. Uh, and so, offloading a lot of that responsibility. Um, you know, will make your compliance team happy. Uh, but also all of that development time to like build those flows out. That is the sort of thing where like Stitch comes in and you're right. We do have conversations from time to time with companies who are like, oh, like we built it in house or like that's kind of a critical part of our app. We don't really want to like outsource it to another company. Uh, but really when you sit down and you start walking through their implementation, um, and what it can look like with Stitch and how quickly they can, you know, make changes, make improvements, really kind of fine tune it and make sure that, you know, they're not getting conversion drop off. All those sorts of things start to come into play. And really the value add of having Stitch do that for you uh, can really be made clear. Yeah, and I, and I can speak from personal experience on this one. Um, in the past, I have, uh, I've, I've built password password-based login systems that, um, that only did one round of hashing. And I thought it was, hey, I, I have a salt and a hash. I'm, I'm doing it right. <laughs> and I've done, I've written my own OAuth implementations. <laughs> Why? Oh, my God. Um, but in a recent project, and this, this is kind of the reason uh, you guys kind of came up on, on my radar, yeah, we, 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 we use Stitch and wow, yeah, it just works. It's fabulous. Um, and it does it 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 does save a huge amount of time. Um, you'd kind of be crazy, and you're right. The, the the analogy with servers is nearly exact these days. You tell your boss you're going to run your own servers, you probably get fired. <laughs> <laughs> They'll definitely balk at that. I mean, I've done you know I've done the whole lock yourself out of your SSH, you know, shut down your SSH, even lock yourself. Out. Have to have to have people actually go physically to data centers to rescue you and all that sort of stuff right so i've been there so <laughs> you know bring on serverless or whatever um i think i mean is this a general trend do you think chris that that, that there are various vertical slices of the um of, of a web service and i mean that in the more general sense of you know there's, there's, a, there's a website and an app and various bits of functionality that are offered to consumer or business users do you think we're seeing this break apart into these vertical slices where certain parts should, as a matter of best practice, be outsourced. It's definitely a trend, right? Like it, the, the amount of times you visit a website and you're seeing, you know, HTML and maybe vanilla JavaScript uh, hosted on some web server somewhere is rare, right? Uh, there's almost always a framework involved, you know, whether it's like XJS or, or something else. It, it, where it's hosted, um, all those sorts of things. Uh, you're not seeing like databases of service, whether you know, Supabase or plain at scale. I think more and more, we're starting to realize how many of the things that you can build in-house if you really want to. And, and really, I say in-house, but like we mentioned, you know, uh, you're probably actually just going to be using some database hosted by you know AWS or something like that. Um, 
but how much more quickly you can build and how much better of a solution you can like create when you're leveraging the expertise across a bunch of different teams who are doing one thing really, really well. Um, now, if you catch me waking up on the wrong side of the bed, I might kind of uh, have a slightly different opinion, which is like you open up the, you know, any app today and you see like 15 layers of abstraction or 15 uh, different integrations um, that are like powering the service. But really, when you step back and you look at what we're creating today, it's a better experience for the user. It's driving more value there. And that's really like what we're after. We're not after, hey, how well can your... Um, you know, your company who who maybe, I don't know, if they're a fintech or um, they're building a, a social media app, how well can that company, like how good is, is your database expertise? That's not the question, right? The question is how good of a social media app or how good of a fintech app can you create? It's not about, you know, <laughs> what your security team is. I want to be dealing with Postgres optimization settings ever again. No way. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you just want it to perform really, really well. I, I have a question for you. So. In in the sense that the something using something like Stitch, right? Because you you guys have dealt with all the edge cases, and you are the guys doing the configuration options. Do you do you have numbers, or are you able to share them around? Let's say um, someone's using Stitch, and you guys have this. You've dealt with all the edge cases, and um, you have the smooth user experience. Um, the drop off in uh, successful registration journeys, login journeys versus you know, home-crafted solutions? Hmm. That's a great question. I can dig in on some hard numbers. Um, so don't directly kind of like speak to that question, but really talk about like what it's like to build a really good and like smooth login flow for users. Um, one of the things that we've seen when looking across our platform, we've been really surprised and kind of excited to see our, our fundamental thesis, which is that presented with a less, a lower friction line flow, uh, one that converts better, users are going to pick it time and time again. So one of the big things that we've noticed is if you present a, you know, a bunch of users in your app, um, let's say uh, kind of one-click sign-in through Google, email magic links, and a password, um, those three different login flows. Yeah. Google OAuth, it's one click generally. That is by far, you know, on, on a kind of like a, a 90%, 80% level of what users are going to pick time and time again. Um, email magic link is going to be second. And then password uh, is going to be the lowest down. And we've seen time and time again, when you present users with a lower friction option, that's the one that they're picking. And that conversion, it really comes along for the ride. Uh, a better user experience results in higher conversion and vice versa. Like that, whatever you present to the user is going to be what they pick. And so with like Google OAuth, that sort of flow from start to finish, there's almost no drop off there. Um, with a flow like passwords, you'll generally get mm, somewhere between like 20 and 40% of people struggling to log in. They'll run into at least one error along the way, whether they forget their password, they type in their email wrong. Wow. 20 to 40% is what I'll generally tell customers to kind of expect in that sort of login flow. And then email magic links is like a little bit better than that. Um, 
but you're you have a bit of that disconnect, right? They send the email magic link. They have to then go to their email inbox, find the email, click it, and log in. Um, and so that's the sort of like the, the friction and conversion just go hand in hand. Interesting. Um, okay, so <clears throat> you have this really cool product. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about how you guys use developer relations um, yeah. to, to sell that product, to help make the developers have chosen to, to you know, put their faith in you guys actually successful. Um, does Stitch have a particular approach, a, a guiding philosophy of developer relations? Walk me through how you guys do it. Yeah, we, so we start from a mission. Um, our developer relations team, our job is to create a community and content that leaves a lasting positive impression on developers. That's our that's our mission. That's what we're always trying to do. Um, part of that is make sure that one, the first have to be aware of Stitch. Uh, two, that Stitch can click as quickly as possible, right? If they're aware of Stitch, awesome. When they get to stitch.com or our docs, does it make sense? Uh, you know, I can actually, it's so surprising to me the number of times I've gone to some software website and I can't figure out what they do, <laughs> what their actual product is, like how you use it. <laughs> um, and then the next one is, okay, they've decided, like you said, to put faith in Stitch and start to integrate. Um, how long does it take them from zero to one? Uh, that kind of time to value side of things. And then the, the final kind of aspect is make Stitch easy to love. They got awareness, time to comprehension, time to value. And then kind of make Stitch easy to love. Do um, measure that stuff? Do we measure that? Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely like we we go ahead and at each stage in the pipeline um, measure what we can um, to determine how people are moving through that that funnel. Um, as an example, we do um, kind of like time from sign up to first API call. Um, that metric is is essentially okay. Once they've decided to create a Stitch account, how long does it take them to kind of figure out? Okay, how do I actually make an API call at Stitch? Um, then from there, from you know sign up to first API call, then you have from first API call to uh, you know first uh, user created within test, and then you have first user created in live. And then how long does it take them to build actual um, you know? an actual user base to either migrate users in or start to uh, generate users on their own. All those sorts of uh, kind of measurements along the way help us make sure that we're doing what we can in each of those areas. You've got specific actions against your API, your service. You've identified yeah. the transition points. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, okay. And then on, on I mean, just looking at, at the um, developer engagement side of things, you guys have um, you have a Slack channel and you have normal documentation. You also have your own forum, um, which is which is quite quite well implemented for 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 those sort of things. Some some forums are pretty uh, pretty bare bones. How do you find where's the most engagement, and why did you have why did you put such focus on the forum or? or why is the forum so good? Is, does it work really well compared to Slack? This is this is something that's interesting that I've learned over the last couple of years is that um, first of all, you got to go find developers that are in your your kind of ideal profile, right? Um, kind of apropos to what we were talking about before with you know AWS and hosting, you want to make sure that 
you're not you're you're finding and engaging with the developers who are open to using Stitch, who really kind of want to push their login flow forward, and you know not just you know take the easy off the shelf kind of like thing that's been around for 10, 15 years. Um, and so like you have to find those developers that fit into that profile, and then within that kind of developer bucket, you have sub buckets. Um, there's a kind of risky versus conservative ones. Um, there's readers, talkers, and explorers, um, which is kind of relevant to the the form side of things. We there's there's buckets of people who really want to like get on the phone and talk to somebody, right? Uh, they want to like hop on the phone, talk through their solution, talk through what Stitch can do, and kind of just interact with a human and have a conversation, learn about our product. The explorers are the people who dive immediately into docs. They probably don't even visit stitch.com, right? Stitch.com slash docs. They're probably optimistically trying to go to that web address because that's where they want to be. <laughs> yeah. And then they get in and, you know, then they're using the terminal. They're, they're firing off a few curls, just exploring, seeing how things work and, and putting them together themselves. And then the other bucket is readers. That person who, you know, they're definitely going to visit your docs. They're going to read through everything. They're also that sort of person who's going to want to take a look at, you know, um, like you said, our community Slack, read through there. Also, the longer lived kind of forum of, hey, what's been around? What are people talking about? What problems have people run into? Um, maybe I have this issue. I have this question. Has someone else mentioned it before? That sort of person, um, you, know, you have to kind of handle all three of those archetypes. And so the forum really, that was the thing we identified of like the readers really want long-lived kind of threaded conversations that they can search through easily. Um, Slack is, Slack's search kind of works, but it ages out over time. Yeah. Um, and the forum really is a place where they can kind of see that curated list, the longer term of like, you know, the kind of stitch history. Wow. Okay. So this, this structure, readers, talkers, explorers, is that you guys? Did you get that from somewhere? This is something that I feel like we came about as we started to develop these, you know, different communication paths uh, with developers. We kind of like figured it, this out pragmatically on our own. Um, but then I heard someone, um, I forget who, I wish I could uh, credit them with this, but I heard someone in a talk explicitly call out these three different buckets. And I was like, oh, this, these are the buckets that we like. We're building a Postman collection for the explorers, so they can easily just kind of play around with our API. We built a forum for the readers, and then we set up, you know, our Slack for the talkers. I was like, oh, we're doing all these things. We just didn't have labels for those buckets, and now we do, and we can use this, uh, you know, just internally. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, and, and it's kind of fun. Like I can totally see which one I am, and I and I know people who are different who would value the other parts. Um, that's a really, really useful little archetype. Uh, let's talk about open source uh, as our final kind of topic. Um, how important is open source to you guys? Do you do you use it as part of your developer engagement? You you had said previously you, you wish you could do more of it, um, but I'm kind of interesting to just to understand what Stitch's disposition towards open source is in general. In terms of working with open source, uh, we love to do it. Um, you know. We love to be in those open source uh, repos, um, working with people to make sure that Stitch fits in neatly with whatever you know open source uh, product they're working with. Um, like like we've been mentioning, 
when you're building an app, you're not just kind of rolling everything yourself. You know, you're using, you know, this uh, third-party paid service. You're using this open source library. All those sorts of things. We love to work with those communities um, and just make sure that Stitch works across everything. Um, internally, how we like to think about open source. We're an incredibly developer-focused company. We build a product. We sell the developers. Um, they're our core target audience. And the first thing that you know a developer wants to do if something, um, you know, they're they're trying to dig in and understand something or understand why something went wrong. They want to see the the source code, right? Like they want to dig into it themselves. And so we really like to make as much of our you know SDK code public as possible. So to enable customers to do that. Um, and in fact, there's been a number of times where, you know, a customer is like, hey, you know what? It actually might be better if we did this or like, actually, hey, there's like this. Might... Here's a bug. Exactly. And so those are the kind of things where we like to get the code in front of the developer as much as possible for a few different reasons. One, uh, for the developer, so they can kind of debug themselves, you know, identify bugs all on their own. The other side of the thing is actually less work for us. This is something that like I didn't really think about. Um, explicitly but you have a situation where um you know all of your code is internal right it's it's closed it's now incumbent especially on developer relations to communicate um you know how that code works how that code changes over time to developers um you know if a new version of of our sdk is released well it's great if they can just go look at what changed if it isn't, now we as a team have to communicate that to developers. And that like communication pathway is, is time, it's overhead. Um, people don't always get, like, get the communication pathway that you're intending. And so that's one of the reasons I really love uh, being able to open source as much as possible. Um, it just, it's, uh, it's better for everybody involved. Yeah, and, and it, makes, it, it makes the developers who are using your stuff way more productive because sometimes even with the best documentation and the forums and everything, you just got to read the source code to see how it works. Um, it's all good. That's my go-to. <laughs> I will say that to, to the junior engineers working for me. <laughs> read the source, Luke. Read the source. Yeah, well, no, that's exactly it. You know, uh, a forum post, uh, a Slack message, uh, it can be wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> as much as we endeavor, like things can age out over time. Uh, things can change. And so really what it comes down to, whatever the documentation says, uh, really doesn't matter in the end. It's what the code does. And so being able to see that source code really lets you know, okay, here's how things actually work. Machine never lies. Unless this is ChatGPT, which is a whole different story, but I'm afraid <laughs> we've run out of time. And you know, I think there's, there's, a, there's a bit too much ChatGPT conversations. These we, I mean, we could be ChatGPT clients. You never know. Who Possible. knows? Are we real at all? I don't know. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. This has been fabulous. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful. Talk soon. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at Voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.